Leaders within the church are called by Scripture to live and lead in a way that is above reproach. That doesn't mean that they must be perfect or we'd have no leaders, but it does mean that someone who leads must practice personal integrity, character, and godliness. The little things in life reveal character, and character matters in church leadership more than talent or charisma. But what if a Christian leader, be it a pastor, worship leader, or volunteer ministry leader, behaves in a way that goes against the biblical qualifications for church leadership? What should happen if they disqualify themselves from a position of leadership within the church? Can a leader who is guilty of disqualifying behavior in their past ever serve in a position of leadership again? If so, what steps should be taken to restore them? Everybody to the Beards and Bible Podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined by Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm sitting here sipping on my puka, puka tea. How do you pronounce that? I've never even heard of that. I don't know. What is? I can't even see that. Because you're not cultured, cultured enough. Well, ex- puka, explain to me what puka? puka tea is. This isn't like ayahuasca, is it? I thought we talked no, about that. No, it's just like... It's a uh, it's a nighttime tea. It's uh, la- lavender, chamomile, hmm. all kinds of good herbs. So if I you know just completely go unconscious in the middle of this episode, it's because of the puka tea. Is that? <laughs> I, I have no idea how to pronounce puka. So for those listening, listening just on audio that don't see your video feed, P U K K A. That's how you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would think it. I think it would be puka, puka, puka. Yeah, but puka tea. That sounds absolutely disgusting like the worst possible tea one could possibly drink hey how's mm. that puka tea mm. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm good on that how are you doing doing good man doing real good uh, yeah came back from vacation been... last week and yeah yeah it was super relaxing yeah, i heard you've been running a lot and, uh... i have as have you old friend yeah, but you've got me beat. I think you're up to 15 miles, or are you? Or no, you did 18. Recently. I did 18 this 18. past Saturday, yeah. So <clears throat> the training plan I'm doing I think is a little different than yours because mine is like I do high-volume training, and then I taper down, and then I do high-volume training and taper down. So I do like two weeks high-volume and then one week taper down. So mm-hmm. this is a taper down week, thank the Lord. But then next week is going to be my most – intense training week. I have to do a five mile run, a 10 mile run, a five mile run, and then a 20 mile run. So yeah, no, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to have time for all that. I don't even have a plan. My plan is Joe from work likes to run as well. We meet at the, at the Westgate park at uh, 6 a.m. on Sundays and he makes me run. So we just, I just do one long run on Sundays and that's it. I don't, I hate running. I hate running So throughout the week. I'm not going to be running. I do a long run on Sundays and then I do, I just go to the gym throughout the week and that's it, man. That's my Is plan. that going to be enough for so you to I'm get up, through the marathon? I don't care. I'm just going to get through the marathon. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, 
I've, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to be praying for you the whole time. I'll be standing next to you and putting my hand on your shoulder and praying in the spirit. Yeah. I did 12 yeah. miles Sunday and it felt good. Um, I felt way less defeated and kind of just out of steam than I did the week prior when I did 10 miles. Um, <laughs> I went to, I went to, uh, either Walmart or dollar general. I don't know where they came from, but they have these like adult Pedialyte drinks. They're like, uh, electrolyte restorative drinks kind of things. They're not like, Oh yeah. I've they're seen like, those. they're like from the, the, the pharmaceutical department or whatever. Um, I froze two of those and I left them in my car while I was out running. And so they're on the dashboard of my car thawing out as I'm running. So hmm. six miles in, I down one of them or like half of one. And then I let it thaw out some more. And then by the time the run is over, they're both thawed out and really cold. And I drink both of them. And then I ate three Krispy Kreme date glazed donuts <laughs> as soon as the run was over. And I felt, I feel like I felt amazing dietitian listening to this podcast. That's just shaking their head. That the fact that you ate three Krispy mm. Kremes after you did that amazing work. form I of felt, exercise. Yeah, I felt great. I felt great afterwards. And I'm going to repeat that this coming week when I do 15 miles. So mm. who knows? I might, I might do four Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, wow. Mm. Big partier. Mm -hmm. You can be careful. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. So my long runs are interesting. I've been doing them on Saturdays, but the challenge is <clears throat> as I get into the fall months, my oldest son is playing football and all of his games are Saturday mornings. And then we have church Saturday afternoon and so mm -hmm. my long runs are getting longer and longer and longer. So I'm going to have to shift, <laughs> shift my long runs to do them on Fridays instead. So mm -hmm. I'm basically going to have to run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then do my long run Friday. And so the two guys that have been training mm -hmm. with me, Wesley and Corey have been awesome. And that's been really cool. But, uh, yeah, I think from here on out, I'm probably going to have to train by my lonesome on those long runs because they can't run on Fridays. So, Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, you know, you find yourself starting earlier and earlier each day too, because of the heat. And also you just got to get on with your day yes. and get things done that day. So yeah, <clears throat> yep. I mean, you can't spend every Saturday morning or Sunday morning in my case running four hours, you know, like it's, I mean, know. it's literally getting up to like three, three and a half hours. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It is very time consuming. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and do two marathons this year, each a month apart from each other. So I'm getting like a two serious? for one out of all the training. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, dude. I'm gonna do, uh, I had the, no idea. Yeah, I'm going to do the Chattanooga, and I, I'm going to do the one I did last year in Cocoa Beach, Florida, the um, the Space Coast Marathon. So, yeah. My goodness, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. I feel like uh, that's okay. going to put your body through a whole lot. So. Yeah, you yeah. know. So we've had the talk, you know, like a little bit, you know, we're going to stay together or are you going to leave me in your dust um, and continue running without me? I mean, it depends. Like I don't, I'm, I'm going to do my best to stay with you and be your wingman and carry you on. Yeah. And yes, but at the same time, if you're like sucking wind at mile, you know, eight or nine, I mean, I love you, but mm -hmm. I mean, well, I think there's like, it's like the, uh, the moment where I, you know, you turn around and I look at you and I say, you know, go, go for it. 
<laughs> until I until I give you one of those, I think you got to stay with me and just cheer me on. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay with you. It's about, it's about the camaraderie. Yeah. It is about the Thank camaraderie. You. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a big posse too. I got my buddy Wesley and Corey from here that they're running it with me. And then you've got your son who's running the half and then a couple yeah. of work buddies as well. Yeah, yeah. One guy from work and his brother-in-law will be running. So, yeah, we'll be like a pack. We'll stay together and cheer yeah, each other man. on. and Yeah. The Peloton. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm. Yeah, your video just cut out. I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, I can still hear you. So, mm. Okay. Hmm. Oh, well. Well, uh, we'll dive into our topic tonight. Um, our topic comes to us via our email. And our email is beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. So thank you if you send us an email. We always love getting email uh, questions from our listeners. So this question comes from a listener named Kurt, who lives in Iowa. Howdy, Kurt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your question. And here is his question. Thank you for the regular investment you make into your Beers and Bible podcast. I've listened for a while. I've enjoyed your deep dives into lots of issues and topics. <clears throat> some topics I know well and some I had no, no idea about, such as your recent investigation of IBLP. I'm always intrigued and challenged by your discussion. It causes me to think more about each of the topics you tackle. If I could suggest a few topics for future episodes, I don't recall you covering already. Here are a few to consider. And he gave us a bunch of different topics. But one that I thought was very compelling is pastoral restoration and what disqualifies someone from ministry. Hmm. So, Gabe, when you hear just that phrase, where does your mind go? What What are you thinking about when you just hear somebody ask about pastoral restoration? What disqualifies somebody from ministry? Mm. You know, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of faces and a lot of names flash through my mind. Uh, it's it's messy. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of milieu that that you one needs to sort through. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's 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 what goes through my mind. <laughs> you were pretty hesitant to cover this topic too, because I texted you about mm-hmm. this a few weeks ago, and you were like, mm-hmm. "I don't know." Yeah, what was your hesitance? Just just because of how messy it is. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think just just the uh, then uh, we're we're gonna get into it tonight, but basically just the. We we like to put a one size fits all answer on every single problem that arises within the body of Messiah, within the church, and within leaders within the church, and I think I think that's the wrong approach. I think, um, and and I think I think when we say that and when we take a stance that like no one size does not fit all, and this and there isn't a there isn't a uh, straight line from A to B on someone who 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 stumbles and falls from place of prominence in the ministry. Um, I think people tend to um, scoff at that and they say, you know, no. pe- pe- this is a very, I guess, a, a very ch- emotionally charged issue. And um, and that's right. why I'm like, I want to make right, sure right. do a good job at it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and I think that's, <clears throat> as I've been studying it and reading into it and thinking through it, um, that is something I have seen, and we'll get into it more tonight. There really isn't, a clear cut process or even really that many guidelines given to us in the scripture about what to do if someone disqualifies themselves from ministry. 
And so we're going to look at some verses tonight and read what the scriptures would say. But to be honest, um, there's a lot of like, I don't want to say gray area, but I mean, there is kind of a, there's not a one size fits all. There's not an easy answer mm-hmm. to this. Yeah. And I, th- I think that is part of the reason why it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit messy, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's a really important topic for us to think through, especially if you're in full-time ministry, if you're listening to this and you're in full-time ministry, or if you're just at a position as a volunteer leader in your church, I think that we all do well, Gabe and I, especially, um, as pastors, but everybody that's in any position of ministry to pay attention to what the scriptures would call us, uh, to live up to as leaders. So, yeah. Gabe, you want to start us off by reading that scripture we have listed, um, the qualifications of a elder, overseer, mm-hmm. pastor, bishop, that central leader, overseer of the church, kind of what we think of when we hear pastor of a church. Sure. Yeah, this is from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and it's really important that uh, lay people and members of churches and congregations be familiar with these passages. Um, so this is the qualifications for an elder, overseer, pastor, bishop. You know, these are words that are in English, but I'm going to, I'm going to pop in the Greek word when I hit the Greek word that is translated as overseer here, but it's here is a trustworthy saying, Paul says to Timothy, whoever aspires to be and the Greek word here is an episcope. It's where the, there's a denomination called Episcopalian, but episcope is, it, it means epi, it comes from epi is the, the prefix. It means like correct or fitting and scopio is like where we get the word for like a scope to look intently at something so it's <laughs> it's the idea of someone who is the right watcher you know like like a shepherd would be a watcher to look over something look over the flock so yeah so this episcope if he de- desires a noble task um now the the overseer the episcope is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Yeah. So someone who is a central leader of a church in, how do you say that? Episcope? Is that how you say it in the mm-hmm. Greek? Yeah. I always thought yep. it was Episcope. That's my Georgian coming out. <laughs> Yeah. One of them Episcopes, man. I mean, I, I can be the saying, there's probably, there's probably some Greek, Greek students out there like, what on earth are you guys saying? But, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I just love their gyros. The Greeks are good. Mm. Um, so let's go through these. There's 14. Um, first one is above reproach. So, I mean, like we say this all the time, we throw this around all the time in church, you know, we got to live above approach, got to live approach, but like practically, what does that mean for a pastor, for an elder to live above reproach? Can you break that down? Put that just in like everyday language. Hmm. Uh, someone who it's really hard to pin accusations to. 
they they put <laughs> they put boundaries in their life that uh make it hard for someone who might try to ensnare them or might try to discredit them to do so basically that's that's it um yeah so <clears throat> above the fray of any sort of scandal any sort mm-hmm. of questionable activity um not to say that they're not criticized because there's always going to be critics right where you have a central leader of a church an elder or a pastor but for the most part they just kind of stay above the um above that like you said not giving anyone a reason to think ill of them in that mm-hmm. Yeah. Second is husband of one wife. Um, so in the Greek, it quite literally means a one woman man. Mm. <laughs> now, some denominations and some um, some traditions will say if a man is widowed or divorced, that means or some say if he's not married. So like a single man can't serve as an elder, can't serve as an overseer because of the fact he's widowed, he's never been married or he's divorced. Um, he doesn't have a wife and he's not a husband. Mm. Um, I don't really think that's the thrust of this directive. I think it's more, he's faithful to his wife. What do you think about that? Do you think this excludes guys that are widowed or guys that are single? Yeah. I think it also excludes and is maybe talking to, uh, uh, polygamy, you know, um, yeah, I think that's probably the thrust of it too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I think that's the I think that's the focal point uh, is that this this person would not be a polygamist, and uh, you know if that if that is pointed at uh, you know a, a requirement of of elders or overseers <coughs> within a church, uh, that could be by extension implied that is that is a restriction of men within the church as well. Yeah. It's funny. I was doing a pastor's conference in Uganda one time Mm -hmm. and there was a guy that, uh, we had a question and answer time and and Q and a times would go on sometimes for hours. Mm. (laughs) And I loved it. It was really cool to just kind of see the different, uh, things that are universal for all churches and all places and all times. Like doesn't matter where you're pastoring, you're still going to have the same struggles. Right. Um, but some of them were very specific to the culture. And one was, there's a guy that raised his hand and said, I'm, wanting to commission a man within my church, but he has three wives. Can he still be a pastor? Mm. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Paul, (laughs) for telling Mm -hmm. us it's a husband of one wife. And so I was able to quote that passage and say, no, I'm sorry. He's Mm -hmm. not qualified to serve as a pastor. So yeah, listeners, listeners to this podcast in the Western world probably giggled a little bit when I was talking about polygamy, but I mean, you go anywhere yeah. where there's a, a predominant like Muslim population, there is the propensity for men to take on multiple wives. So that's just a fact of, of sure. life. And if Christianity is, is present there, then we're going to have to grapple with what happens to Muslim men who or have multiple wives who convert to Christianity and where do they fit in? And that's a whole other mm-hmm. podcast yeah. episode, but sure. yeah. yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. Very real problem. Yeah. Um, third one is... Temperate. Temperate. So what would be like a good modern translation of temperate? Mm. I would say uh, not not prone to emotional swings. Um, 
they're pretty hmm. even keel. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? No, I think that's a great definition. So like not moody, not mm. erratic, not, you never know what kind of guy you're going to get. Is this going to be the, the nice guy or is this going to be the, you know, there's that popular clip that goes around on YouTube and people send it to me of the guy that, uh, from the pulpit starts to berate members in his congregation. Do you remember that one? He's, mm. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the guy where he, mm. he says, uh, you're one of the sorriest church members I have. <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah. It comes well, yeah. off the Isn't platform he... and says, don't you fall asleep on me. You might do that to yeah. an English teacher, but not me. <laughs> and then he talks to a couple that he's about to marry. Right. And he like yells at them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh my Lord. Yeah. So not that, that is someone who is not temperate. Mm. Right. Uh, the next one is prudent. Some translations say self-controlled. So I think that's pretty obvious. I think that kind of goes with temperate, right? There's somewhat self-control. Next one says respectable. <clears throat> I mean, that, that would basically be to carry themselves in a respectful manner. Do you think that's mm-hmm. fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what about hospitable? Hmm. Yeah, I think the the Greek there for hospitable is philoxenos, uh, which is like philo uh, is like brotherly love or brother, xenos. Hmm. So like, uh, yeah. What would what would xenos be from? Like xenos uh, would be foreigners. Yeah, yeah. So like treating foreigners like brothers. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a really interesting word. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting concept too. Mm -hmm. So like someone that walks in your church that you don't know, they're a stranger, they're a foreigner and you treat them as if they're a brother. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting qualification. The Bible gives that if you're going to serve as a central leader, you have to have that character quality Mm. of being Mm -hmm. friendly and open and welcoming and treating people you don't know like they're a brother or sister in Christ. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah, it is. Um, able to teach, which is interesting. Up until this point, the list has been like character. And this is like the first one mm. that talks about ability. Mm. But ability does matter. Somebody has to be able to teach. Um, yeah. Why is that? You know, like why, why do you have to be able to teach? Well, I mean, that's part of the responsibility of the job, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to note that <clears throat> when we think of teaching in a Western context, mm-hmm. we think of the transfer of information. But I wonder in the early church if the idea of teaching had more to do with the Jewish way of teaching, and that was more relational, like a rabbi with students. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like more yeah. modeling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, when we think of a pastor, first of all, that word is only used in the New Testament one time. Um, And that's when it's represented as a gift in the book of Ephesians. Mm. Um, We think of some guy in a pulpit opening his Bible (laughs) and doing what I do every Sunday, um, which definitely is a massive part of my responsibility of teaching the church. But, like, that's more of a cultural expression of this role. Mm-hmm. Um, 
teaching in the early church would have looked a lot more like sitting around in a house church and the overseer is teaching a lesson and people are asking questions mm. while they're teaching. So right. It would have been more like a, and, a, a conversation, like a, um, like a dialogue yeah. being led by a, by, by a, by an overseer. Yeah. Interesting. And so a, someone who's able to do that and patient with people and knows how to present mm. the truth of the word of God in a way that is accessible, um, you know, to, to the people that they teach. Mm. Um, not a drunkard, not violent. I think both of those are pretty straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Gentle and peaceable. And then the next is free from the love of money. Mm. Um, unpack that one for me. Why is that important and what does that mean? Mm. Well, I think because with with meeting corporately, there is the injunction to give money, to give charity, uh, to give offerings. And so I think the overseer has this uh, interesting relationship and opportunity there, potential opportunity to take advantage of those giving that money, uh, which should benefit the greater good, which should benefit the the community, you know, but also he, he has the right to live off of those gifts according to mm. Paul. Um, but there's this, you know, this, this awkward relationship where if he is a lover of money, uh, he may have the propensity to go ahead and take advantage of them. Um, and doing so. So it, and, you know, I, I think it's like Ezekiel 34, God warns, uh, the shepherds of Israel. And he says, you're, you're in, in effect living off of the sheep. Like you're, you're, you're surviving yeah. off of the sheep that you're supposed to shepherd, you know, and it's like you're acting more right. like you're a wolf using than them. you are a shepherd. Yeah. Right, sure. right. And I think that's that's the trap sometimes people fall into if they are a lover of money. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really important that that qualification mm-hmm. is in there. I think it's it's essential. Um, the next one is a well-managed home. It says mm-hmm. he must um, – manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take good care of God's church? Um, that's, that's one that's like, you know, my, my kids are young. I've got a seven year old, a five year old, a three year old, mm-hmm. and my kids are not perfect at all. Um, <laughs> we just had our next class last night, which is our newcomers class. And because my wife is a hospice nurse, sometimes she's on call on Monday nights. So they come to the church and mm. they're at next class eating dinner with everybody. And then they go back into the childcare area. But, um, man, they're just like, they're there at the church all the time. Cause that's where I work. And so sometimes they, you know, will do things like run around the sanctuary or they'll do things like, you know, jump up on the platform or try to go back where the drum cage is. And, and I'm always really careful to make sure that they're respectful. And I tell them, Hey, get down from there. We don't run in here, but at the same time, they're children. And so that's always like, I just, I think about that a lot. Cause like, I want my kids to obviously be respectful of church and mm-hmm. be respectful of the people there and, and obey. And I want to teach them obedience, but at the same time, like I don't ever want my kids to feel like, um, they're on display and I have to, does that make sense? Like, I don't know yeah, what I'm yeah. exactly trying to say. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause like, especially in 
times of like worship, uh, you feel like you're there, you know, for church service or whatever. And it does feel at times, you know, like maybe are people watching how my kids are behaving right now and, you know, sitting here in this row, yeah. you know, and it's, it, yeah, I mean, and, and maybe they are, but I mean, um, no, I think that's talking more broadly about like, uh, you know, like, um, are you practicing what you're preaching? So are you, you're maybe preaching, you mm. know, a certain level of discipline in your home or, or maintaining, <clears throat> right. you know, these different spiritual practices of disciplines within your home. Are you doing that within your home? Um, right. And obviously so you're children not checked children. out and negligent in the home. Right, right, basically. right. Or you're mis, you're not yeah. mismanaging and you're not putting the ministry before your family. You know, and I think that's a, another trap that right. ministry yeah. leaders fall yeah. into as well. Yeah. Well, and then the last one is not a new convert, which is kind of a character quality, but not really. It's more just saying, mm. you know, you can't be somebody that's brand new to this. Um, mm. I think that's important, too, that mm. somebody has to have a level of spiritual maturity. They have to have been walking with Jesus long enough to know how to pastor and shepherd and lead people, um, you know, through the different stages of spiritual growth. So I think that's really important. I love digging into the original language and the, the original word for this is neophutos, neo, neophutos, which Neophyte, is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like literally it's an agricultural term and it deals with something that's been newly planted, like a tree, like a fruit tree that's been newly planted. It's like a, a young shoot or a sapling. You don't want them trying to be the overseer because man, you know, as well as I do, like when you are the overseer, you have a target two to three times the size on the, on your back as everybody else does. And the yeah. enemy is going to be lobbing arrows at you just constantly. And if you're newly planted, uh, then you're, you're so much more easily uprooted, you know, in those, in those attacks. So really, really yeah. wise words there that Paul is offering. <clears throat> Absolutely. So those are the qualifications for a elder Overseer, what was the fancy word? Epis, epis, I want to say episcopos, but it, you had a fancier way of saying it. Uh, yeah, um, I lost it. I, see, I don't have the pronunciation <laughs> right myself. Um, the, the different syllable, different emphasis on a different yeah, syllable. Yeah. But uh, t- typically, when we hear like a lead pastor, that's what we think of. This is what Paul's describing, right? Yeah. Um, Paul's Paul's just in heaven. There's Paul's also heaven qualifications given right for. Deacons. Mm-hmm. And so a deacon would be essentially a volunteer ministry leader. Um, so a deacon is someone who serves in administrative or organizational tasks. Mm. Those who would minister to the practical and physical needs of the church. Um, and so a, a deacon, really that word just means servant, mm-hmm. right? So this would be anyone within the church that's serving as some sort of a ministry leader, they're not, <clears throat> you know, the elder, they're not primarily leading the church spiritually. They're just serving within the church um, as a leader within the church, as a deacon. <clears throat> and the Bible gives us, um, you know, qualifications. Do you, do you want to read those qualifications? It's right after uh, yeah. this is a the ones for elders. Really cool word in the Greek. It's one of the coolest ones. And it actually sounds like the word deacon, but it's diakonos. And it literally means dia is like thoroughly, uh, and conus is, it comes from conus, dust. And it is literally, it literally means someone that's really dusty or someone that stirs up dust, meaning like they're, <laughs> um, they're in a hurry by moving so to minister. 
um, as one commentator put it. So I think that's interesting that they're like the, the <laughs> dusty one, you know? That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so in First yeah. Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Paul says, in the same way, the deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his, his, his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and uh, I think something that's noteworthy too, talks about deacons and let them serve as deacons. It says in the same way the women are to be worthy of respect. So there's a lot of Christian traditions that believe that the office of deacon is open to both men and women. Um. Because of that, I I think I would agree with that. I think there can be deacons and deaconesses. Mm-hmm. I think the office of elder seems to be reserved for male leadership. Um, but I think that this passage is talking about women alongside of the qualification for deacons. I think it kind of says, hey, other positions of leadership are available for women within the church. So yeah, just, just as, kind of a, as a side note. People could disagree and send me a nasty letter <laughs> that I've gone woke for saying that, but you uh, chauvinist. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just believing the Bible. So Yo, there's going to be, there's going to anyway. be people that are saying you're sexist and there's going to be people that are saying you're woke. So it's like, you'd lose, lose, but no, yeah. we, we are the same way. Yeah. And that's how we govern our congregation yeah. is that we have male elders and we have male and female deacons and deaconesses. Um, yeah, and just so happens that many of the yeah. deacons and deaconesses are actually married couples. So, um, oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. We don't actually call people deacons in ours, but we have life group leaders that we've told them they are essentially operating in the role mm. of a deacon or deaconess. Yeah, um, because they are ministering and they're leading, and so um, yeah. But same thing. We we see the office of elder and kind of that lead pastor as male leadership, but anything besides that is open to female leadership. So anyway, mm. that's a whole nother podcast, man. Speak of sticky podcast. That would be a <laughs> Star mm. World War three talking about complementarianism and egalitarianism. Woo wee. Mm. I don't know if we're ready for that. <laughs> Maybe we are. That'd be interesting. Well, we'll call Rick Warren, see what he's up to. Um, <clears throat> yeah. 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 Mm. Okay, so qualifications for deacons, deaconesses, volunteer ministry leaders, the dusty ones. First is they are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gains. Essentially, they've got to be self-controlled in their speech Mm. and their appetites and their actions. And that's really, really, really important. Um, sound in the faith. I think that's what's interesting. They must hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. I think that means they have to have a firm grasp on the truths of the gospel and live in accordance with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, do you, you think that means that they have to know theology as well as an elder or an overseer or a lead pastor or... No, because you notice there is an absence of being able to teach in these qualifications. I don't think 
uh, deacons are expected to get up and teach the entire congregation. Um, they, they may be able to, they may want to, they, they may be sub in every now and then, but they're not um, expected to be someone who's a regular teacher. Therefore, um, no, I don't think they need to be the, the theological, you know, biblical scholars that maybe elders might or hope to be. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's important still, though, that they have their sound in the faith, that they at least they hold to the, the main tenets of the faith. They understand them. They can convey them. And they're not going to be wavered in those. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, Paul says to have them be tested first and let them mm-hmm. serve if they prove themselves blameless. So can't be a newbie, right? Has to be somebody who's been there for a while. Can't be somebody who walks up to you on a Sunday morning. At my old church, I used to do this. Well, <laughs> you're at a new church, so we got to get to know you, right? Um, faithful to their spouse. So it says faithful to his wife, must manage his children and household well. Um, I think if somebody's a deacon or a ministry leader or a volunteer ministry leader, if they're single, obviously they got to honor the Lord in their singleness. Mm. But, um, yeah, so if, if you are a leader within your church, whether you're serving as the, you know, lead overseer or an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader or a worship leader or whatever, <clears throat> scriptures aren't silent. You are held to a higher standard as a leader. Mm. You're called to live at a certain standard and that's the qualification for the job. And we just read all these things that say, can't just be any anybody. You, you've got to make sure that you are at a level of spiritual maturity in order to do that. Um, like, why why is that so important, Gabe? Like, if if a church gets that wrong and prioritizes gifting over character, mm-hmm. what can happen? <laughs> yeah, the uh, when the when the adversary strikes the shepherd, all the sheep get scattered, right? And I think it's really easy for us to latch on to someone who has a gift, especially via the internet, and we can't really analyze the, the day in and day out fruits of their their life. And that's a really, really dangerous thing to do. Um, I'm not saying there's not great teachers on the internet that have great character, but we just, it's hard to really vet people like that, but we still allow them to speak authoritative doctrinally into our lives. We've got to be very careful. We've got to yeah. be very discerning in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more than anything, the reason the Bible gives these qualifications is that the people of God need to be protected and they have a leader that's actually leading them and not taking from them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then secondly, the testimony of Jesus in the world needs to be protected that people who are supposed to mirror his image, um, by leading the body of Christ, they need to mirror his image in a way that is accurate. <laughs> and if they're representing Christ, but they're doing so in a way that is, you know, sinful and wicked and they're, you know, getting drunk on the weekends they're cheating on their spouse. They're embezzling money or not being honest with money. I mean, that, that taints the witness of Christ in the world. And I think that's why the Bible is so serious about, leaders within the church living at a higher standard. Hmm. So that leads us to kind of the, Oh, we're going to say something. Nope. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What might disqualify somebody that's a leader 
from their position of leadership. Hmm. So the truth is, um, there's never going to be a Christian leader within the church. Okay. Who they are, who is a hundred percent perfect at all these qualifications. Um, none of us can live up to all of the standards 100% of the time. Like Christian leaders aren't required to be sinless, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or else we would never have any Christian leaders. We wouldn't have pastors and elders and deacons and life group leaders and worship leaders. If you have to be sinless to be that, right? Um, do you think sometimes it's easy for us as leaders within the church to get discouraged sometimes when we think about those qualifications and think, Oh my gosh, I measure up. I don't measure up to that Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to stress that these qualifications. Yeah. Like you said, we're all going to mess up at some point. We're going to be inhospitable. Sometimes we're just going to be lousy at teaching. Sometimes we're going to go off the cuff and like have a temper tantrum. But I think what Paul is talking about is like prolonged uh, and and visible, you know, (coughs) areas where these are just deficient. You know, if this person is, is, divisive yeah. you know just perpetually divisive they're not peaceable and i think that's what he's talking about there yeah absolutely so like ongoing character patterns mm-hmm. not a momentary instance of a guy who just has a bad day and he's short with somebody right this is a repeated pattern of ongoing unrepentant behavior that goes against the qualifications listed in the Bible. Um, then, according to 1 Corinthians 9.27, um, that person can disqualify themselves because of their own perpetual ongoing pattern of sin. Mm. So 1 Corinthians 9.27, <clears throat> Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that's kind of where we get that term of disqualifying sins, right? Which mm-hmm. in and of itself, that's a kind of interesting term to be disqualified. So what what would you say to that term? Like what 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 do you think the scripture is getting at by using that particular phrase, disqualified? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, th- I think it's depending on the situation, it's either temporary or it's permanent disqualification from the 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 ministry office in which you were occupying. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. that's getting into the, you know, the case by case situation that we were to kind of talk about earlier. It's like, right. There's no one size fits all for sure. Sure. So it, it kind of seems clear that it is a perpetual ongoing pattern of sin, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. well, yeah. the guy's not perfect. So can him get him out of here. Right. Um, it could also be secret sin that's not confessed it's secret sin that gets uncovered or found Mm. out yeah which is an indication that there is not repentance right and i also think that it is sin that hurts damages misleads or abuses others within the church that that individual has been called to lead hmm um, I think where most people's mind go when they think of a disqualifying sin is adultery, right? So a pastor has an affair and runs off with his secretary. Mm-hmm. 
that's the that's honestly what most people, especially if they come from a certain denominational background, they think, oh well, he just disqualified himself for ministry. He's never going to be a pastor again. Um, but it's I mean it's more than that, right? I mean that that definitely we could say that is disqualifying sin. But it, would you say there's there's more instances of that? Is it just kind of case by case basis, or what would you say? Oh, I think I lost you. Can you hear me? No, oh, can you hear oh, me? There you are. I can hear you now. Oh, yes. <laughs> Did you hear my question to you? I done lost you again. I don't know what's going on with Gabe's. Oh, there he is. Yeah. I'm back. Okay, you're back. Good. You're not disqualified gotta, from this I podcast. Forgot to feed, I forgot to feed the squirrels before this uh podcast started (laughs) (laughs) you didn't pay your internet bill yeah um so yeah we were talking about like is is it is it just something like adultery or is it more than that or is it just case by case basis Mm -hmm. that would be disqualifying yeah no i think it's i think it's case by case it's there could be a multitude of things i think um yeah i think it's the perpetual the perpetual violation of any of those requirements that paul listed out i think the, the perpetual and unrepentant or or yeah, it's just case by case. I think it's just a perpetual and ongoing um, violation and falling short of one of or many of those requirements that he that he laid, uh, laid out for us. Yeah. So here's what kind of where we get into the uncharted territory of we don't really have like clear black and white instances or instruction from the scripture mm-hmm. as to what we're supposed to do if someone practices disqualifying behavior. Um, our buddy, John MacArthur, the man who knows no nuance and who, uh, knows the obvious answer to every biblical question. So there, (laughs) there's no gray area for John MacArthur. In case you're wondering, this is what he said. There are some sins that irreparably shatter a man's reputation and disqualify him from a ministry of leadership forever. Even Paul, man of God that he was said he feared such a possibility in first Corinthians 927. So, um, yeah, I mean, MacArthur takes a pretty hardline stance that says there are some sins that disqualify a leader forever. Mm-hmm. And if somebody commits a certain sin as a spiritual leader, then there's no coming back from it ever. And um, as I researched this topic this afternoon, there's a lot of people who disagree with our buddy Johnny Mac on that. Mm. Um including John Piper, which I thought was interesting because John Piper is also from the reformed Baptist camp. And he, uh, he disagreed with Johnny Mac on that. So, Hmm. so what should happen if somebody practices disqualifying behavior? Well, I think it's pretty clear that as a protection for the people in the church and a protection for the witness of Jesus throughout the larger Christian community in the world, that leader should step away. Hmm. And it seems like there are certain sins that would require somebody that's in a vocational position of leadership, like a pastor to resign, right? That might be a sin like adultery or someone that is embezzling money or alcoholism, or, you know, I think of the case of Mark Driscoll. He was, showing ongoing patterns of abusive and bullying behavior. Um, But 
here's where it gets fuzzy and a bit unclear. If that person is disqualified until they repent, get help, or show victory and progress over these areas of sin in their lives, is that person forever disqualified from any form of Christian leadership forever? Or is it just until they get better and show signs of improvement? And if that's the case, how long do they have to sit on the bench? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is like one of the benefits of, of denominations. I know people hate on denominations a lot or, or at least like larger governing bodies that are above a church and maybe governing bodies over multiple churches um, is that they can decide on these things internally and they mm-hmm. can make these decisions on a case-by-case basis. There's a benefit to that. And non-denominational churches don't have that luxury. Uh, so if the pastor, you know, um, gets caught in an affair or gets caught embezzling money, there is no one holding them accountable. And you often see that the board of directors of the 501c3, the legal entity, will vote them out or whatever they got to do to to get them out of the, the, the out of that legal entity. But you will notice that a lot of those people and those leaders will, will just completely reinvent themselves and just mm-hmm. start back up and pull many people with them and just say, well, that was, they were all falsely accusing me. They just wanted me out or whatever. But I think yeah. if you had a larger governing body, um, you know, we might call that a denomination or whatever, they could meet, right. gather evidence, hear testimony, and they can make a decision. They could put out a public statement and they can make a plan of restoration. And if they want to, if they think it's, if they think it's doable to do a plan of restoration. But I think that's one of the, one of yeah. the nice things about having a, you know, like in Acts 15, there was the Jerusalem council and they, they were a larger sure. governing umbrella governing body that, that took yeah. up issues and made decisions that were, were authoritatively binding on, on the, the churches and the diaspora. Sure. Yeah. And, and no, I think that that is definitely a benefit for it. I, I mean, Obviously, the, the church I pastor belongs to a larger network of churches, the experienced community. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a governing body over us. I've had a pastor over me, Corey Trimble, and, you know, a, a network of different leaders that hold me accountable. And then with on a local level, I have elders that hold me accountable. So if I act a fool and do something to disqualify myself um, from that, the decision for me to stay in ministry would not be my own, <laughs> right? It would be yeah. these other leaders that God has surrounded me with that I'm under that would make that decision. I think a growing trend in evangelicalism that is like super troublesome to me is when a pastor or leader sins publicly and does something disqualifying and then they leave their church and then you see them go and start another church mm-hmm. like, almost immediately. Like <laughs> there's something not right about that. Right. Yeah. Have you ever seen it done like on a more intimate level? Have you ever seen someone have to step away or forcibly be removed um, against their will because they were found in sin? Have you ever seen that more like on a, on a personal level take place? Y- yes, I have. And I don't want to name any names because, um, you know, it's a sure, sure. personal friend of mine, but there's a friend of mine who was a pastor and he had an unchecked addiction in his life mm-hmm. and it led to him being unfaithful to his wife. Mm. And so the church that he was 
employed with, he resigned from that position. And um, he actually, he was on his way to kill himself. Wow. Because um, he, he just thought, you know, my life's over. And then um, through God's grace and through his awesome wife, she was willing to stay with him and work through that. And he began a very intensive process of counseling and meeting with an awesome, awesome, awesome um, Christian ministry that, you know, worked with pastors. And and so after about three or four years of him kind of doing that, um, he stepped back into a ministry position, but not as a lead pastor, more of a um, kind of a support role. Uh, for that. And God has really been blessing his ministry since then. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and so I've seen that done super, super, I think that was, that was everything needed to happen that that person, you know, was willing to say, I, I need to, I need to be healed. Right. I need to let Jesus work on me. I need to work on my marriage. And, And so he did that with humility and with repentance. Um, you know, and he didn't insert himself back into ministry. He was invited, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was asked by someone else to step back in. So, um, yeah. So I've seen that done well. Have you Have you seen it done well, or have you seen it done poorly? Or I've really not on a personal level. I've never really seen it um, to anybody I knew or any church I attended in my past. Um, I've just you know I've heard stories, but nothing really closely connected to me. No. I can give you a horror story of what not to do from a certain (laughs) denomination my wife grew up in. Mm. Um, So apparently it was pretty common in the denomination she grew up in. If a pastor had a moral failure, Mm. um, like he had an affair for the district overseer to just move that pastor to another church. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, usually do it in a, either a different state or a different side of the state mm-hmm. or whatever, and just continue to let that person serve in ministry. Just, you know, keep it on the DL and, you know, say on paper, oh, we as a denomination are giving, you know, there's a restoration process that's happening. But the truth is, I mean, there's no way to know if it was or wasn't, you know. Do you think you could um, do that and get away with that now in the age of the Internet? Yeah, be a lot lot harder. I want to say, yeah, I want to say it'd be a lot harder, but I, unfortunately, I think that actually still kind of does happen. Mm. I really do. I think that there's a lot of um, churches who are desperate for leaders right now because we're in kind of a succession crisis. And so if a pastor is willing to preach and lead a church, I think there's some really struggling, dying churches that aren't going to do their due diligence and asking, is this person qualified? They're just, oh, wow, it's a warm body. They can teach well. Get mm-hmm. in here, right? Yeah. And so I think that actually happens a lot more than people think, unfortunately. So. Yeah, you might be right. Well, kind of the big million-dollar question is, can a leader who's guilty of this kind of disqualifying behavior in their past ever serve in a position of leadership again? And if so, what steps should be taken to restore them? And I think like Gabe and I've been saying this whole time, every case is different. You can't make a blanket statement. 
I know our buddy John MacArthur did, but he makes a lot of blanket statements about everything. Um, you can't swing to extremes either. Um, if we say a pastor who commits adultery can be restored to his pastoral leadership position if he says he's sorry, then I think that's super, super foolish. Mm-hmm. Because that doesn't really leave room for like genuine repentance and that process of restoration. It's just, well, he said he's sorry. We were supposed to forgive him because we're supposed to be like Jesus. So let's go ahead and put him in a position of leadership. Um, but then if we say if a pastor commits adultery, he can never be restored to a pastoral leadership position anywhere, anytime, any place. Then like we're forgetting the very bedrock of our faith, right? That like grace and forgiveness is available <laughs> to, to all mm-hmm. believers in Christ, regardless of the sin we've committed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think like a safe middle ground to say is a pastor can be restored to their original position under certain circumstances. And I think that's what requires wisdom to, to identify what those circumstances might be. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. Good synopsis of it. And I think that's why you always want to look for pastors and teachers or elders who are, are putting themselves under the accountability of other, other leaders. Um, and be careful of people who have slipped out from under the accountability of people. And now they're, they've gone rogue. Um, because, you know, maybe they claim, oh, they were holding me back or they were quenching the spirit or whatever. Just be, be very weary of people like that. I think seeking accountability, seeking seeking authority um, over you, even as a pastor, is a really godly thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a difference between, like, accountability on paper and true functional accountability, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know... I think of the the Mars Hill saga. If you've listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, um, on paper, Mars Hill Church had like the most conservative, um, impressive sort of elder um, governance. Mm-hmm. And it looked like, man, the pastor is held accountable by these elders. And and on paper, it looked that way, but the truth is he wasn't, he was a, he was a bully. He would fire elders left and right if they disagreed with him. Right. Hmm. So he, he wasn't walking in a way that was, you know, the biblical qualification for an elder, but, um, those he put as overseers over him are to help him and hold him accountable. They weren't actually doing that because he wouldn't allow them to do that. And so I think that's something to think through when you have governance and denominational structures and things like that. I don't, I mean, that's a whole nother topic for which one is the best. There's been all this disagreement for 2000 years church history. What's the best form of church governance. I'll just say this. um, The ones that are functionally healthy are always better than the ones that appear to be on paper. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple things to think through as we wrap up. I think John twenty one is in our Bible 
for a reason. If you don't know John 21, that's the restoration of Peter. And I think that tells us something about the heart of God and the grace that Jesus extends to fallen leaders. Hmm. That's one of my favorite stories of all time. Do you ever hear Dr. Rutland preach on that story? No, I haven't. Or maybe I have, have I, I don't remember it, but can you teach, can you just well, quote the whole sermon verbatim right now to me? If you please? have your Bibles, <laughs> turn to... The 21st chapter of John's Gospel. Mm. Dr. Mark Rowland was the university president. David, yeah. Mm. Um, but man, he he always just painted this picture in John 21 uh, that just always mm. stuck with me. And I, I got to preach over that chapter not too long ago. Mm. That just tells us about this idea that like the gospel is that we're forgiven and that God has a plan for us and he wants to use us and it's never too late. And we can't outrun his grace, right? And so, yes, the Bible gives us very specific qualifications that if you're a leader within the church, man, you got to live a godly life. you got to live a life of integrity. But if you fail, there's restoration available, right? And so I think that's one of the reasons I disagree with that John MacArthur quote we read earlier where he just said, no, there's certain things you never can come back from ever. It's like, man, I don't, I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times. Like that's a pretty serious, that would be a disqualifying sin, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think we have to like balance truth and grace when we have these conversations because there's a, a self-righteous legalist in the heart of every person that delights to see someone else fall. Mm. And I think we have to be very careful to balance that um, need to hold people accountable with the grace that we see in the gospels extended towards leaders that fail. So something else I think it's important to discern what true repentance and godly sorrow actually looks like hmm. because somebody can play the part. And here's the thing. Pastors are really good at performing, right? I just think of Jimmy Swaggart. Did you ever see that clip in the eighties when he got caught having an affair with it? You're laughing because you know which clip I'm talking about. He was a very famous televangelist and he got busted for uh, soliciting a prostitute. And so he goes on his, broadcast and I have sinned and he's crying and it's just this big performance, mm. you know? Mm. And I mean, yeah. So was it genuine? I don't know, but like, it sure seems like he hammed it up. So like discerning what's real repentance, what's real Godly sorrow, I think that's super important to have people that are there to actually say, no, this person's just performing and faking it so they can have their platform back, right? Yeah. Um, if reconciliation is needed or if reconciliation is even possible with offended parties, I think that needs to happen if restoration is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that... Uh, it's important to remember restoration to fellowship 
within the body of Christ isn't the same as restoration to a position of leadership within the body of Christ. Mm. So somebody can be forgiven and accepted and loved and shown tremendous grace because of a mistake that they made. But just because they're offered all those things does not mean it's wise to say, okay, now lead everybody after that sin. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then lastly, Peter didn't restore him, <laughs> didn't restore himself, right? He didn't deny Jesus three times and then say, well, I guess I'll just go start my own church. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jesus restored him. And so the church is the body of Christ. And the representative of him, I think, must affirm the qualifications of any person before they're restored to a position of leadership. So. Dave, I hear you typing, but your camera, I think, is is off. Right, what are you typing? What are you looking up? <laughs> oh, is my camera still off? Your camera's still off. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, but it's I think the video off. is actually recording, but it's it's just off because your oh, okay. your internet's slow. Oh, I, was but... my no- I was picking my nose this whole time. <laughs> the camera was off. <laughs> I was uh, I was looking up the Jimmy Swagger video. Oh, were you? So I was gonna try to play a little bit of it in the microphone and surprise you, oh. but. I have sinned. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You can hear me typing. I was going to like sneak up on you with some Jimmy Swagger. Did I ever tell you that my brother ran into Jimmy Swagger in a Walmart in Chipley, Florida one time? No. Yeah. So like my, you know, we grew up watching Jimmy Swaggers and you're like, Oh, sure. He's he's a PTL guy, right? Well, there's Jim Baker. Who's the PTL guy, but Jimmy Swagger, I think was called the, was it called the hour of power? Okay, I maybe, I'm, maybe I'm thinking of Jim Baker. Then my brother ran into Jim Baker, which isn't that a whole other? Oh yeah, oh, Lord. There. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and here's what's funny about Jim Baker: like he did prison time, mm-hmm. like prison time, right? Um, because of some awful things he did, he was like guilty of like fraud and like mail fraud, like all this stuff. Like he denied everything. Does prison time, and then in prison he writes a book and says, "I was wrong." I, you know, blah blah blah. Almost immediately after coming out of prison, he starts a new chapter of his ministry. And what he does now is he sells like doomsday disaster kits. Yes. So yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is like now he does Jim Baker buckets. Yeah. Which is a, actually like a big viral thing on the internet now. Is like people take snippets of Jim Baker doing weird, <laughs> creepy things with these buckets. Yes. And compiling them all together. And I actually, uh, Rhett and Link from Good Mythical Morning, they bought some of his buckets and did a taste test. Really? On their show. It's just, oh man, it is just an embarrassment. I mean, just, Ugh. the big thing is like, they'll take, they'll take Jim Baker on his show and, and like completely take him out of context, you know, and like just make weird, awkward oh, little yeah. compilations yeah, 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 of yeah. him with his guests and they're just doing the weirdest things. I mean, even if they were in context, they're the weirdest things that, Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Baker buckets. But at a certain point, somebody like that, you have to say, brother, are you really interested in serving the Lord or you just want to be on TV? <laughs> yeah. you're, oh. you're selling, you're selling like macaroni and cheese in a bucket and telling people that that's how they prepare for the apocalypse. I mean, come on, man. You know, but yeah, anyway, people love him though. Like yeah, old they do. people just love him. Listen, if you're an old person listening to this, I'm sorry I called you an old person. Turn <laughs> Jim Baker off. 
Okay, just turn them <laughs> off. Stop it. Just stop. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, Jim Baker, if you're listening, send us an email. There's a Bible Kurt, thanks for your question, man. Yeah, and as sure. always, we love questions from listeners. So send us a send us an email. Periods and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a Facebook message or a YouTube comment. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.